Hey, Craig's listeners, Craig here. Just wanted to chime in before this week's podcast. We recorded this back in November with our special guest, Ben Acker. And uh, we discovered after we recorded that Carla's mic cord was broken. So uh, it, her voice is picked up, but it's not at her usual level. It's not at the usual standards of this podcast. And I would just like to apologize for that. Our uh, audio engineer extraordinaire, Ken Plume, is going to do his best to level out the voices. So I think uh, it won't be – you'll hear what she says – uh, but it won't be ringing out as loud and clear as uh, as normal. So just wanted to warn you about that. It's probably better if you listen on headphones rather than in the car. But who am I to tell you how to listen to a podcast? Listen to it however you'd like, and hopefully you can hear everything that Carla says. There's also a special treat uh, after Carla's quotes, which I think you will enjoy. And this weekend... In San Francisco, California at SF Sketchfest, we're doing only our second ever live episode of Craigslist. This is going to be January uh, 14th. Uh, and so if you're in the Bay Area, we'd love to see you. We have Busy Phillips as our special guest. We're going to discuss the movie Raising Arizona. And we're paired off with the wonderful We Got This podcast with our good friends, Mark Gagliardi and Hal Lublin. So uh hope to see you this weekend. Sorry about the bad audio. Please enjoy this week's Craigslist. In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Is that her? Is that Carla Kakowski? Let me put my arms around this gal. My name is Jack Lipnick. I run this dump. You know that. You read the papers. Look, I've heard your podcast, or more accurately, Lou here has heard it. Sounds like it's big with the coastal elites. As far as podcasts go, we're only interested in one thing. Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out and enjoy a song? Is that more than one thing? Okay. Will there be quotes is another good question. The, the important thing is that, that it has to have that Carla Kikowski feeling. I think we've all had that Carla Kikowski feeling, but since you're Carla Kikowski, I'm assuming you have it in spades. I do. <laughs> I'm hired. Well, well, that'll be, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if you're hired, but okay. you, you are hired to do the Craigslist podcast oh, as you have been you. from the beginning. There was only I need the money so badly. Oh, we are raking it in, aren't we? Uh, there was only ever one option. Uh, and it was you. Like we can't do this podcast without you. Oh, uh, are you trying to say that you like me? <laughs> in so, not in so many words, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm hinting at it. Uh, hi guys, it's Craig's List, and, uh, you got a, a little bit of a taste of, uh, Jack Lipnick, a studio head from, uh, the movie that we're talking about, talking about, talking about today. Mm-hmm. 1991's Barton Fink. Ooh. This is the first time we have covered a movie by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen. Is no- it? That is correct. Oh. Known colloquially as the Cohen Brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are well-known filmmakers who have made a, lo- a lot of prominent movies. And they have two movies on Craigslist, and this is the first one that we've had a chance to talk about. But to do that, we are going to welcome a guest. And this is our second two-time guest. Uh, you may remember many, many episodes ago, we talked about a little movie called The King of Comedy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not care for that movie. And he asked me, can I come back and do a movie that I like? I still don't know if I have granted him that, but I did ask him, well, what movies do you like? And he's like, I don't know, Coen Brothers. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I do have a Coen Brothers movie coming up. So uh, we've decided to pair Barton Fink with Ben Acker. Thank you for uh, your presumed applause, everybody. (laughs) Hold for applause. Hold for applause. 
Uh, please call in and clap into the phones. <laughs> stadium full of people. If you're driving, please do not applaud. If you're listening to this in a stadium, that's cool. Podcasts <laughs> <laughs> sure. have really arrived, you guys. Yeah. yeah make sure to take a knee when they play the national the anthem. Best sound effect uh, that I will ever do, you guys. The Carlos Quotes theme, of course, being the national anthem. Ben, welcome back. Thanks like for having us. We're just doing bits, but not listening to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think three independent bits are as good as one coordinated bit. Uh, and that is thematic with this movie. Yes! <laughs> right? Right. Well, let, let's not jump right no, into let's it. Not but, in. but uh, let's tease it. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fan of the Coen brothers? I do like most of their movies. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, I hope this is one that we can include in that group. Do you want to give? Do you want me to give it now, or wait oh. till the letter grade portion? Oh no! Well, <laughs> you know, just lay back and let you guys do it, and then when it's time for Carla to give her letter grade, I'll chime in and say what I thought of the movie at all. Uh, yeah, you can or chime do it in. Regular, I, do, it, I, do it regular. I, we'll do it regular. Uh, <laughs> fuck it, we'll do it live. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, th- I think we'll have ample opportunity to figure out what you are thought you asking of. me straight out right now. Did you like this movie? Yes. Okay, yes, with a question mark. Okay, a qualified. I, I have liked this movie. I did like this movie. I rewatched it, and I felt like I was doing what you must do every week, which is uh, assess what I think of it now versus what I thought of it then. Okay. How many times have you seen Brighton? I've seen it a handful of times. Okay. One handful. Okay. Five? That, that sounds like five times. Yeah. <laughs> How can you fit a movie into your hand? How can you tell? I'm going by the number of fingers. Uh, you know, like a handful is, is <laughs> refers to how many fingers you have. A handful is so five. And from person to person. <laughs> no, just a random number. Yeah. Some people may only have three or four in a handful. Like fireworks friends. <laughs> the Simpsons have four in a handful. Yes, cartoonmen yeah. have a different number of fingers. And uh, uh, Christopher Guest in uh, Princess Bride has six in a handful. That's right. Is that the most in a movie? <laughs> the most on fingered the on a man? Yeah. <laughs> on your list. What number is The Princess Bride? It's up there. All right. Okay. I didn't mean to ask a direct <laughs> question about the nature of your list. Uh, but what is your history with the Coen brothers in, in general? You're a fan of their work? I am a fan of their work. I feel like the first one that made a big impact on me was Hudsucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, me I remember, too. Me too. I remember seeing that movie, uh, in DuPont Circle, downtown DC, uh, and coming out of it like going, yeah, that's what I want to, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's a thing. And arguably. Were you a teenager at the is, time? Is, is a little bit influenced there. But yeah, I was a teenager. Uh, and it, it knocked me out. And I, I, I don't know the order in which I, I've, I saw Coen Brothers movies, but, uh, Barton Fink was an early one. Uh, and I, I liked it a lot. I liked it for its old time qualities. It's old sure. Hollywood stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weirdness. It's out and out weirdness. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say this is up there among the weirdest movies on my list. I wonder if Carla will agree, but uh, I suspect <laughs> I I uh, she that. will. But yeah, it's it's certainly up there in terms of weirdness. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it is a straight up weird movie. Yeah. On rewatch, Carla, you had never seen this before. I had never seen it. I actually thought it was about a mobster for some reason. <laughs> Well, you might be confusing with Miller's Crossing, which is the movie that they made right before this, which is about the uh, the Irish mob specifically. Okay. Miller's Crossing, I got to late, like recently. I watched it uh, for the first time, and then uh, and loved it. Like I love Miller's Crossing. I love Miller's Crossing, and as I well. got legit mad at the Thrilling Adventure Hour gang one time. We were flying, I think, from Australia to New Zealand, and Miller's Crossing was on offer. Uh, as one of the movies on the flight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, guys, Miller's Crossing. And then I watched it and loved it. And then was like, do you guys, how great is Miller's Crossing? And everyone was like, we watched, you know, uh, Kingsman or whatever. I watched and Working I was Girl. Like, you watched Working Girl. And I was like, <laughs> you people had the opportunity to watch Miller's Crossing. I turned into angry Paul of Tompkins and didn't watch it. Well, I must have slept in that flight. I don't think I watched a movie at all. I certainly would have. Music. I remember. Did I listen to music? Okay. Molly's mom uh, apologized to me like it was a real anger that I had. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't watch Miller's Crossing. I, I, Jeez. I, I, no, she was. She, she couldn't have been sweeter. <laughs> yeah, I, I Miller's Crossing is the movie they did the year before this, 1990. Uh, 
All the others I was early adapters for. So I saw Blood Simple, not in the theater, but I did see it on video when it was the only movie that they had out. And I just kind of knew that it was this cool, uh, indie, you know, film noir. I was definitely a high school student at the time, but I really fell in love with that movie right away. When Raising Arizona came out in 1987, I went with a bunch of my buddies from high school to see it on opening day because we were all fans of Blood Simple. Then for some loved it. Did you love it? Loved Raising Arizona. It, in fact, is the one Coen Brothers movie I like even more than Barton Fink. Really? So that's that's right. higher on the list. All right. It is my favorite Coen Brothers movie, Barton Fink number two. Um, Miller's Crossing, for some reason, I did not get to in the theater. I saw it a little thereafter on home video. I was a college student at the time. I was cramming for a final. Sure. I'm sure the entire- English or history or something? A yes. class? Sure. Like a class? Uh, but I, I definitely saw Barton Fink in the theater probably on opening day. And I don't think I went all the way into D.C. to see it. I think I saw it somewhere in suburban Virginia. This is when I was still living at home with my folks before I moved to Chicago. And this movie blew me away right away. I I think Raising Arizona is probably one of those movies that everybody likes, even if you're not much of a Coen Brothers fan. Uh, Maybe not. Ben's giving me a... It's not my favorite. Uh I'll tell you, I love the opening of it. Like That's a top opening of a movie of all. Um, And it... It just never stuck with me. I maybe got to it too late, but the, um, it all feels very written to me in a way that the Coen brothers are stylized and feel written, uh, anyway, but I somehow I buy it in Hudsucker Proxy and I buy it in Miller's Crossing, uh, which are just as, as overtly just written, um, broad characters. Uh, and I just don't, it just doesn't ring true to me. It feels very, um, I don't know, very written in Raising Arizona. And so I don't, I don't have an abiding love for that movie uh, that I know I, I could and should. So I'll work yeah. on that, everyone. But, you know, it's kind of Looney Tunes farce, you know, cartoon. I mean, there's an overt reference to Woody Woodpecker in it. So, you know, it, it is kind of like a live action cartoon. I think a lot of people respond to just the, the – I mean, it, it works as zany madcap comedy even if it maybe doesn't work uh, in the in the whole of their oeuvre. Are as we a, talking about Raising Arizona? We're talking about Raising Arizona. It's not, because we're going to be covering that. <laughs> like, we just spent a lot of time talking about the movie that we're not talking about today. <laughs> Should we double down and talk about it some more? No. <laughs> well, what I'm going to say then is that Barton Fig is my Coen Brothers movie then. Really? you know, Because I think uh, they have such, uh, such an eclectic uh, oeuvre – uh, but their movies are strange and, uh, allegorical in weird ways, uh, ways that they don't like to explain and they may not even understand, you know, all the symbolic meanings of their movies. You know, for a lot of people, Big Lebowski, I think, is like the cult classic. Mm-hmm. That movie has never really done anything for me. I think it's fine. I think it's somewhere in the middle of the pack mm-hmm. of their movies. Yeah. Same, same. It didn't, uh, it was a, a year of like wandery movies. Jackie Brown came out like it was just um not undisciplined, but kind of undisciplined. Like let's just see where this thread takes us and and hang with the character as opposed to yeah. pose a story. Uh, I cannot stay awake during Big Lebowski. <laughs> I've never seen it all the way through. I think it starts out strong and loses some steam along the way. But I will say this about the Coen Brothers: that even their just okay movies are going to have like 20 or 25 things in them that are cooler and more fun than most movies. So I think outside the grazer period, right? Like lady killers and well, uh, yes, yes. Let's eliminate lady killers and intolerable cruelty from that mix because those are both truly uh, bad movies. Uh, But they didn't really shepherd those into existence. Right. Um, That's the what period? Grazer. Brian Grazer produced those. Oh, okay. The Grazer period. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It could be Grazier. <laughs> Grazier. Uh, so you thought this was about the mob? I did. I don't know why. Okay. I also thought John Goodman was smoking cigars in it, but I don't think he does. <laughs> what, what do you mean you thought he was smoking cigars know. in it? I don't know. If you had said, Carla, what is Barton Fink about? I would have said... John Goodman sitting in a booth in a dimly lit restaurant smoking a cigar. For the mob. For the mob. <laughs> but that wasn't in this at all. No. No. Very little <laughs> cigar smoking at all. I, I should uh, tell you about the plot a little bit of Barton Fink. Barton Fink takes place in 1941, mostly in Hollywood. A uh, a young 
successful New York playwright who specializes in social dramas. He's very much like, oh, a Clifford Odette's type. Oh, Odette. <laughs> as, as people said back then. Oh, Odette's. Uh, <laughs> he's, uh, he's hired to do some screenwriting in, in Hollywood and he's torn between, uh, the socially conscious drama that he wants to write and the, uh, commercial picture, specifically a wrestling picture, uh, that he's asked to do by this big studio. There's a lot of great supporting performances. Uh, Michael Lerner, who plays, uh, Jack Lipnick, the studio head. Um, Tony Shaloub plays Ben Geisler. So great. Uh, another one of the, uh, producers at the, uh, at the studio, uh, John Mahoney, who we remember from Say Anything, is W.P. Mayhew, a, a thinly veiled stand-in for William Faulkner, who was uh, writing for Hollywood at the time. Judy Davis is in this as well. Uh, John Goodman, uh, Steve Buscemi in a very small part. Uh, and a lot of the character John actors. Polito. John Polito. Uh, who plays Lou, uh, the assistant. So many John. <laughs> Uh, but a, a lot of people who had just appeared in Miller's Crossing, actually, for uh, for the Coen brothers, they enjoyed working with John Turturro so much in that movie uh, that they wrote this role with him in mind. Uh, During a, you know, this about the writer's block that they had. Tell me about it. They had, or was it writer's block where they were writing Miller's Crossing? Yes. They took a little break. They wrote Barton Fink, and then they went. Uh, which back is about writer's block. About writer's block. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> Arguably. <laughs> <laughs> that is arguably interesting. Yeah. I'm interested. So he's holed up at a, uh, at a kind of downtrodden, uh, residence hotel in Hollywood, the Hotel Earl. Uh, and it, a lot of the movie is just him in this room with a typewriter trying to write this screenplay for this wrestling movie that he does not give a shit about and not able to get past the opening paragraph of, uh, we fade in on. Uh, descriptive, uh, text. Uh, and then he, he's trying to get advice from, uh, from writers and studio execs. And, uh, it's just, it, it's a nice period piece, uh, in terms of covering a very exaggerated version of 1941 Hollywood. Uh, but it's also kind of a, a statement on the creative process and the, the arrogance, perhaps, of, uh, of writers. There's a big scene at the end where he gets in a fight with uh, some sailors and soldiers. And he just says verbatim the uh, the writer's uh, guild motto. Which is? Oh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> is that for real, the writer's guild motto? <laughs> well, what he, what he says is, I'm a writer, you animals. I create. Yes. I create for a living. Oh, you know? That's what it is. You monsters. <laughs> you monsters. I'm a writer, you monsters. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> that's the writer's guild credo. I love that. Writer, you monsters. Uh, the very first Writer's Guild writer had that tattooed uh, <laughs> up and down his arms. And then he would suck you with it. <clears throat> so I, I think it's, you know, it's a nice satire by the Coen brothers on their own process. And, uh, you know, th- there's a whole running thing about him trying to understand the common man, you know, that he writes works or about the common man and then befriends John Goodman, who's living next door to him at this hotel, who's a, uh, insurance salesman. Uh, he, he hears him either laughing or crying or just making some sort of weird sound next door, calls the front desk. Uh, John Goodman, uh, traipses over and, uh, and they become fast friends. But, uh, but John Goodman has a secret in this movie that we'll, uh, that we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it's, you know, partially about Fink's, uh, arrogance and thinking that he can understand the common man. Uh, so Carla, your first time through Barton Fink, you're probably just I still all of it. Kind of. You were on your phone a lot. Yeah, but I sat there. <laughs> you shared space with I it. shared space with it. What were your responses to this movie? I was 80% bored. Okay. And 20% interested. Okay. What was the 20% that was keeping you in it? I liked John Goodman was interesting. At least it felt like something was about to happen, although it never really did when he was in the scene. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the thing with, can, can we spoil it? We're spoiling sure. it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know we can. I'm about, to, what I meant to say is I'm about to spoil this, which is he's a murderer. He chops, he kills people and chops their heads off is what we find <laughs> out. And he kills, uh, Judy Davis's character 
You mean the the lady in the movie? The the one lady in the movie. The one lady in the movie. She has sex and then she has to die because that's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Slasher film rule. I don't know if I read it that way, but yeah. So she gets killed, uh, and and it happens, and you're just like, what? Like it feels like a totally different movie. And it's, you know, maybe 75% into the plot and it just takes a strange turn. And it was interesting because I was so totally baffled by what the fuck was going on. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it wasn't interesting because it felt right. It was interesting because it felt like what is happening in this movie all of a sudden. I agree that it was a lot of like, wait, what? Like there was, there was some parts of this movie that were like, oh, okay, we get it, Barton Fink. You're not going to let him finish. Please stop interrupting. Please stop showing scenes where they're doing that. They do it a lot. Like John Goodman's like, I could tell some stories. And John Goodman, uh, John Turturro runs right over him and, uh, they do that plenty of times. Yes. Right? And then, and then all the execs times, are kind of just doing a monologue at him the whole time and he can't get a word in edgewise. Right? Yeah. And then there are other times where it's just like, where you're like, there are those times where you're like, I get it, I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where it's like, oh, also, that lady's dead now. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> um, wait, things just happen what? quickly. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, anyway, continue. Uh, I didn't want So just the, the shift in tone was really jarring and definitely got me interested because something had finally happened in the movie. But I can't say that it was the right move. <laughs> <laughs> I love John Goodman. I think he's wonderful. I this is John my Turturro. favorite performance of his. He's wonderful. And when you think that he was on Roseanne probably at the same time, right? It's really 91, yeah, yeah I'm sure he it's was. It's really interesting an interesting casting choice, an interesting move for him to make. Yeah. You know, um he's he's fantastic. But this is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's for all of the like we get it of of the like of that interrupting and 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 that uh i felt like it moved quicker than i remembered it like they he uh, barton fig meets uh judy davis's character yes there's very few scenes before they're sleeping together she's dead and the and the story takes the left turn like mm-hmm. it's not i don't know it's a it contrasts between moving very quickly and very slowly <laughs> Yeah, Judy Davis, by the way, is the lover and secretary of the William Faulkner character that John Mahoney plays, you know, who's an alcoholic who apparently is not even writing his own screenplays or novels at this point of like she's doing the writing doing for writing. him. Yeah. So, uh, so Barton asks her to come over and help him, uh, with this treatment, mm-hmm. uh, for, because he's got to give a pitch, uh, to the studio exec of what he's been doing. I mean, I hate to be the female who's constantly reminding everyone <laughs> of these kind of characters, but we know nothing about her character except that she feels terrible for John Mahoney's character and she's in love with him. But then she shows up to help Barton Fink and she seduces him. Like that's all we know about her character and then she dies and she's murdered. Mm-hmm. Well she uh, we know that she in bed. we know that she wrote things that like she didn't just start writing his screenplays. She wrote like the last couple of his books right. too it seems like. That's true. Um and we, she and and she is a creative inspiration therefore for Barton Fink. But we don't understand why we don't understand her motives in any of it. She's just there uh, in order to get us from one thing to the next. I think she's doomed in love in the sad, romantic, of its time kind of love story. But we that, don't know anything then, about their story. Like, we know that he has a wife back home. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all we know. And that she works for this guy. Now, certainly the whole movie is from Barton Fink's perspective. I mean, he's in every scene, too. So Right. It's... But here's my point, you guys. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, again... But it's just, it's really frustrating and boring to watch movies like this, uh, where the female character is, there's no point to her being in this movie except for as the creative inspiration for Barton Fink, you know? It, so. I think it was interesting. She was the first character, I think, in the movie to touch another character. Okay. Like she touches his shoulder. <laughs> like it's a, re- like it's a really isolated movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she reaches, I mean, like, I'm not saying that she's the best lady character in the history of movies or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, she's probably the best lady character in the history of Barton Fink, the movie, because the other one was in the beginning in the pretentious, 
uh, theater review scene. There's also a secretary. Right. Geyser is a secretary. The secretary. There's a lady on the beach at the end. Oh, yes. Of course. That ties the whole symbolism together. Which yes, Which is it another does. thing that's infuriating for me about Coen Brothers movies. Uh, I know I get the patterns that they're creating visually and the themes that they're trying to tie together, but the themes never pay off for me. The only movie that I think that I like of the Coen Brothers, and I have not seen all of them, is Headsucker Proxy. So there's my review. You don't like Fargo? It's okay. I should probably see it again. True Grit. You liked Inside Lewin Davis. You're right. I did like Inside Lewin Davis. (laughs) I forgot that that was a As I watched this movie and tried to, like, make sense of it, because this time, like, I was following that that thing of, wait, what is what are the sum of, of the parts of this thing? And I feel like it shared stuff with Lewin Davis in a way that I don't necessarily think I would have thought of had I not watched it for this podcast. The thing that I think is interesting about Lewin Davis, the thing that I haven't seen in movies before, to my knowledge, is that it's um it's about to me, it's about uh the line between being a child and an a, an adult and how that is uh how that is reflected by being an artist versus a sellout in their terms. So like to be a grown up is to allow for other people's opinions to be valid, right? Uh, and a child doesn't. A child is all ego and self, right? And in in the view of a character like Lewin Davis, to be an artist is to not compromise. So it is to remain in a childlike state, yeah, in a, a state of tantrum. And to watch this and see Barton Fink talk about writing from the point of view of the common man, when you're not sure going in how common he is. Like he lives with his parents and uncle. So he comes from a house that's, you know, shared and small out of necessity, but doesn't have any patience to listen to the common man that's right in front of him. Uh, and then he's learning through this, um, symbolic Hollywood, like this, this, uh, metaphor for Hollywood at the time. Uh, I guess to be, a, uh, to have an experience that isn't, uh, advantaged. To, to have a, a terrible, like the, the, the hotel is awful and the neighbor is a murderer and his experience with the, uh, with the studio system is, is monstrous and he ends up in a prison of it, uh, where he doesn't get to create. He's finally understanding the humility of the characters he's theoretically connected to and writing about. And the symbolism, the, the, he ends up in this beach scene with, uh, a woman. Uh, who ends up in the pose of a postcard that he's had in his room the whole time. Yes. And there's other, like, there's, there's the confrontation with, with, uh, John Goodman's character where the hotel's suddenly on fire that's kind of like magical or something. Uh, and the idea that they're taking these things, these visual metaphors and putting them in a narrative, like, they're not removing them. These aren't dreams necessarily. I feel like there's, there's, I was trying to impose meaning on it and thinking maybe that the mundanity of the everyday, the commonplace that he's aspiring to understand has a magic to it that is reflected in that postcard bit. Mm-hmm. Is that, <laughs> is that am I trying to force meaning on something or? Well, you, no, I think. I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, I probably like this a lot in 1991 is this is like the most Lynchian, uh, Coen Brothers movie and that it does have like the, and I was definitely watching a lot of Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and Eraserhead and all that stuff at that time. So I, I like that there's no logical explanation for the things that happen in this. I like that it's dreamlike and that you know that it's representative of something deeper and it's up to you to kind of pinpoint of whatever that is. that's fair. You know, I, and it's certainly if the images or the themes resonate with you, I mean, that's the whole point of filmmaking, right? Uh, but, but I do think that, and I, and I knew that this was going to happen with this movie because I've seen enough Coen Brothers movies to know that I'm going to, like not understand at the end what I just watched. Uh, and at a time, uh, there was a time when I thought that that was an interesting thing to do as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a pattern that is no longer interesting to me. I hear you. Sure. I'm constantly frustrated when I finish a Coen brothers film 
uh, with the exception of maybe two or three to the point where I'm just like, it doesn't, it's not, and I know for them it is the journey and it's not the end results. Like their films very rarely have any kind of resolution at the end. Yeah. But like, I'm too old and I've seen too many movies at this point in my life. <laughs> if the point of a movie is, did I blow your mind? Exactly. <laughs> then no, you didn't. Exactly. Thank you you want to be told a story. I want to yeah. be told a story. I would like it to have some sort of resolution. Uh, is that true across the board? You know, maybe some movies will get in there that, you know, that resonate with me specifically in a, in a certain way. But my point is, is like, okay, Coen Brothers, we get it. <laughs> but the thing, I, I got you. But the I thing in you. this that I that I responded to watching it this time through is the um the all the bit characters, all the shaloobs and learners, uh, were so. Oh, and uh, uh, Mahoney, like Mahoney's dialogue was. As much as it was making fun of this kind of uh, stereotypical Hollywood, uh, you know, novelist in Hollywood at the time and drunk and all that, he would have these flowery speeches that were true and poetic. They were great. Like they were, and all that, like I wanted more of Shalhoub. I wanted so much more of Shalhoub, uh, which I feel like you kind of get a variation on in Hail Caesar of just a, a guy trying to fix problems at a place. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hail Caesar covers some of the same territory, obviously, of the, the studio system at the time. Um, but I loved all those – like, as much as it was like, I don't know if I'm with the ride of this movie. I don't know if I'm with this this jerk's story. I don't care if he writes the wrestling picture. Every time he left that hotel, it was really fun. It was really fun. I love their writing. I think this movie is so funny. It makes me laugh a lot. Carla is rolling her eyes. I'm in, I'm with you. Yeah. There is a lot of that for me in this. Uh, I, I like the, the tonal dissonance of it. You know, at different points, Carla was like, is this a horror movie? Is this a drama? Is this supposed to be funny? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I uh, think the dialogue was really difficult to connect to. <laughs> I think I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't think you paid close attention to it. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you say two, that. It was a lot of really two dudes talking. It was a lot of two dudes talking and like, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like right now. Uh, you say that, but I do watch these movies. I under, I could give you a whole synopsis of everything that happened in this film. The one scene that I checked out on was when we found out he was a murderer. <laughs> yes. But then I went back and figured out what happened. But the cops are so great in that. Oh my God, like, they're so great. The cops have all this overlapping, uh, snappy, you know, noirish dialogue and it's I so funny. I love that the first one is like, what am I, Buck Rogers? And then the other one goes, what is he, Buck Rogers? What is Rod- he, Buck Rogers? <laughs> like, it's, it's not, it's not what am I, what am I? I just watched a movie three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which uh, we're recording this in November. You know, maybe this movie has been even more acclaimed at, at this point. It seems it's getting pretty good notices, and it's definitely aspiring for a Coen Brothers kind of feel to the point where it casts Francis McDormand and the know, wife of the Coen Brothers, the wife of both Coen Brothers um, and Woody Harrelson. You know, so it family friend, a family friend. So, uh, and. It felt so written to the point of being really annoying to me that every character knew what the playwright – and I call him a playwright because it's Martin McDonough who is a playwright. Uh, it, it, it felt super scripted and I I agree with you that Coen Brothers feel very written. I think Barton Fink feels very written too but I think all the characters are unique and have their own voice. you know. And so I love the power of language and dialogue when it's in the service of – distinct characterization right i'm with it i'm not mm, i don't feel like the coen brothers feel written to me in a way that is a negative usually it just popped in that one movie as like Hmm. mannered in a way that i didn't buy and i think some of the the reference points for them here are certainly the shining is is a reference point you know of uh oh i got it a a writer the shining took place in a hotel with a long (laughs) hallway <laughs> and in this case the shining is all the shoes that uh steve buscemi is shining uh... chet <laughs> chet uh with an exclamation point and uh also there's three rowan polanski movies that this kind of references to two of which i have not seen uh repulsion cul-de-sac and the tenant uh which are all kind of psychological horror movies about somebody cooped up in a room uh repulsion uh, with Catherine Deneuve, uh, I have seen that one. So I think that there's definitely, uh, I mean, it's, 
if I were to describe the genre, it's a kind of a, a combination of psychological horror and comedy to me. Yeah, I think when I was saying that, I wasn't necessarily trying to find out an answer for what the genre is. Like, again, I've seen enough Coen Brothers movies to know, to understand that they, they are their own genre. The place. Yeah. This one, I think, is the mixiest mix of genres. I was just more making a point of like, hey, this is way different from the thing that was just on screen two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what some of the points that Carla made during the movie. Uh, are we going to hear some Carla's quotes? With a segment that we like to call... Oh, did I spoil it? Carlos quotes. Ugh. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carlos quotes. This really pissed me off, by the way. When you put in the DVD, which I just I purchased a couple months ago with this in mind. I say I pissed you off when I said something. No, oh. never. <laughs> Okay, when you put in the DVD. When I put in the DVD, you know how some fancy DVDs have a menu, you know, which is a scene from the movie? It's the the fucking uh, climax of the movie. The fires? <laughs> yeah. So I guess you, they're assuming if you've bought the DVD that you've already seen the movie or whatever. But it's it's John Goodman running through the hall with the fires burning behind him, holding a shotgun, screaming, I'll show you the life of the mind. I, I, I think what it is is that they're like, you guys, a lot of this is going to be boring. But then there's this scene towards the end. So the, stick it up. The first time I saw Jaws, the 25th anniversary video yeah, tape. I have the – yeah. It was uh, – there was a special before it that had like the actors talking about it and clips from the movie, including Smile, You Son of a Bitch. Yes. Before the movie. I think when, On the videotape. When you hit play – on the uh, it was VHS. It was VHS. Oh you wow! There wasn't like a menu. Oh, you couldn't get around you it. Couldn't yeah. get around it. I have the DVD, and then when you hit play, it cuts to Roy Scheider saying, "Smile, you son of a bitch," what which the- is like that's the end of the movie. Everyone, come on. Yeah. Um. But we as Carlos quotes. <laughs> but as that scene was playing, Carlos said, "Looks like a horror movie from the menu." God, I don't even remember seeing it or saying it <laughs> at all. Uh. The opening titles are over the wallpaper of Barton Fink's room. Carla was just referencing all the actors as their names popped up. Maybe she was getting excited briefly at all the actors that she liked and then was quickly let down. But she said, Judy Davis, I love her. The ref. Can't watch it anymore because of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Such a good movie, you guys. Rest in peace, movie. Oh, Rest in peace, peace, movie. Another dead movie. Oh, it's so good. And it's the holidays. I mean, we could have pulled it out and watched it. She also threw out Tony Shalhoub from The Cooking Show. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean Big Night? Big yeah. Night. Unless Tony Shalhoub has a cooking show uh, on the Night. Food Network that I'm not aware of. Um, toward the end of the credits, Carla said, is this Cohen Brothers? <laughs> Which I... <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was sarcastic I or... I was like, yes, yes, it's Cohen Brothers. I also said John Mahoney from the West Wing. That wasn't right, though. <laughs> was he ever on the – maybe you're no. thinking of John Spencer? That's who I'm John thinking Spencer, of. Yeah. John Spencer, yeah. Yeah. They're in a similar genre, and, and uh, John Mahoney was certainly on Frasier while the West Wing was playing, right? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just love that first opening scene, which is uh, Barton watching his play from the wings uh, in New York. The actors, by the way, when you cut to the actors taking their bow, this is not who it is, but the voiceovers was done by John Turturro and oh Francis gosh. McDormand. So like Amazing. when you hear the voices of the actors, uh, he's playing the actors reading his words. So it's in his head from the beginning, arguably. Maybe, yeah. It was all a dream. Um, but I just love there's a stagehand s- sitting there smoking a cigarette, reading a paper, and then he gets up for his one thing uh, all night, which is like, fish. Fresh fish. You know? So great. I, I just love Coen Brothers always cast interesting looking actors in one line and two line parts. You know, they love uh, kind of buzz. Remember that guy in Hudsucker Proxy? Sure. Everybody move to the rear. It's the colossal <laughs> Mr. Greer. <laughs> buzz. Craig auditioned for the Coen Brothers. I did audition for like five different parts in Hail Caesar. Yeah. And uh, maybe I just didn't look grotesque enough. That's probably what it is. <laughs> but you auditioned for them. I literally – I was called back to do three parts in Hail Caesar and uh, it was them in the room. And uh, uh, Ethan uh, is the shorter one, read with me, and Joel was lying on the couch and I made them laugh. And uh, that's cool enough for me. Yeah. I no, didn't, it's not. 
<laughs> I guess it would be cooler to have gotten a part in the movie, but yeah. <laughs> like, make sure we pay this guy for every laugh that he earned in the audition room. Yeah. So that was, that was a audition career highlight yeah. for me, even if I did not. Team Ethan or Team Joel? <laughs> Forget it. We don't get that. Uh, <laughs> I'll say, I'll say in case they and then during that scene, Carla said, is he the playwright? You can tell because he's very invested. <laughs> that, is that your way of saying Jewish? What? <laughs> Look how invested. Oh, invested. They control the banks. Got it, Carla. Okay. Edit. <laughs> yeah. Edit this. Copy it. Double it. Carla wants it in twice. Uh, that restaurant where we see him at uh, after the play where they're having the after party, uh, that's uh, the Queen Mary uh, in Long Beach. Where we shot some uh, drunk history mm-hmm. stuff, and you could tell that definitely it looks like a cruise ship uh, dining room. Uh, so that was kind of cool to it's notice that. Uh, John Tatura apparently has the same hairdo that Clifford Odets had. Interesting. Uh, so Carla said his hair is intense in this movie, yeah. and it is kind of like combed straight up. Cool. Yeah. Um. There's a quote, and I don't know what you're referencing. <laughs> oh, that's that's a problem. You said, you don't think that's bad? Oh, no. Right away, right away, Carla said, this movie is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a scene where it's it's he and his uh, agent, or the, maybe the producer of the play, and then a couple of socials. Is it yes. his agent Garland? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Garland is the guy that he talks to at the bar afterwards. Yeah, yeah, who's, yeah. Uh, but, the, but the guy who's Before, probably the yeah, producer yeah. Oh, right. who's like, have you seen the reviews in the Tribune? You know? And then there's a couple of socialites there. Uh, and it, everything's very mannered, you know, and stylized. And Carla was like, you don't think that's bad? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I like. I'm a sucker for that too. I'm a sucker for that. Uh, I mean, it can get annoying in, in the wrong. I am a yeah, HUD sucker. It's, it's similar, like it's. It is, but yeah. that works for me in that movie. Because they're having guys. fun and they're moving the plot forward. Yeah, at probably, the same time, probably. <laughs> but I, I, Jason Lee is pretty great. But right away, I'm I'm in with the the over stylized acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm all in on it. Um, Michael Lerner, uh, who plays uh, Jack Lipnick, uh, Oscar nominated. For this movie. And he's a pretty obscure character actor. And he really only has three scenes. You know, they're big scenes. He's great in them. He's really great. Um, so that, that's kind of, that's maybe one of the most long shot Oscar nominations I can think of of a guy who's just like a character actor. He's been a bunch of stuff. You don't even really remember seeing him in anything. His brother's in more than he is, right? Who is his brother? Ken Lerner. Look him up. Okay. I didn't just, he's another character. He's very, he's like this, a skinny, Version, uh, and he's just he's around the Lerner brothers. The Lerner brothers mm-hmm. uh, working with the Cohen brothers. Probably Michael works a lot. I don't know. <laughs> he is still working to this day. He's still alive and he still works a lot. I just don't see him in much, but he's very memorable in this role. Um, when he does check into the hotel, Carla said, "Is this a haunted hotel? Why is everyone so weird?" <laughs> the uh, the scene where he comes in the front desk where he meets Steve Buscemi. Apparently, that was shot at the Wiltern. Which is a concert venue on Wilshire and Western. Uh, and they do have like, they have like a lounge upstairs. And I think that's, that's what it is. Like these high vaulted ceilings. Can we do a tour of a Barton Fink tour of Hollywood? I recognize a lot of places. Cause yeah, there was some really cool. (laughs) Rather than an actual historical tour. (laughs) The Barton Fink tour. Mm -hmm. Um, Griffith Park. Yeah, Griffith Park, where he has a picnic with uh, with John Mahoney, and that's right by the the tunnel that leads to the uh, to the observatory. Mm-hmm. Um, Carla was really grossed out by the peeling wallpaper in his room. Yeah, I was confused by that. <laughs> you did you think it was semen? No. Oh, what did you think it was? I thought it was like I don't know. I thought that the the they, he, they were saying because this is you know a Coen Brother movie that. The walls were crying or something. Okay. <laughs> well, I think it's an overt thing because the wallpaper glue is uh Do you think wallpaper glue is made of semen? <laughs> I don't think it's made of semen. When he when it's on his hand, it do, it does look like semen. Because it's when he's he's hearing the sex noises. <laughs> he's hearing the sex noises of the couple next door and he's trying to put the wallpaper back on and he gets this sticky stuff all over yeah. his hand. I mean, it's a pretty overt connection. 
Yeah, John Polito, uh, I love in this as well. And he could not be more different than what he did in Miller's Crossing, which right. is their previous movie, because he plays the, the Italian crime boss in that movie. And he's an alpha male and he's blustery and loud and yelling the whole time. And he's like this quiet, nerdy guy who uh, has to supplicate himself. You got no sympathy for him in uh, Miller's Crossing and so much sympathy for him here. Yeah. Rest in peace, John Polito. I think he died last yeah. year. Yeah, the stuff that I referenced in my uh, my opening bit, uh, I just love that thing of like that Barton Fink feeling. Uh, but uh, I, we've all had that Barton Fink feeling. But uh, since you're Barton Fink, you, I assume you have it in spades. <laughs> like, so good. It's just great, great dialogue. Um, around the time, this is probably not when John Goodman was uh, on screen, but around the time John Goodman first came in, Carla said, "I'm bored." Um, oh God, is it a bloody wall? <laughs> <laughs> this is when he first when he first noticed oh, right. the wallpaper. Like, oh god, is it a bloody wall? Yeah, because I was like, oh no, is there blood underneath that? And I guess it's peeling just because it's hot. It keeps referencing how fucking hot this mm-hmm. hotel is uh, to to the point where maybe it's hell in the end. Yeah, uh, well, and that's what he says at the end. He it gets hot, and he's like, he's coming back because it's hot. It's referencing uh, yeah, Madman Max Madman Munt, yeah. Uh, Charlie is what, uh, Carl Munt. Carl Munt. Carl Madman Munt. Uh, Carla did say it's good to know it was really hot in LA back in the day, too. Maybe global warming isn't a thing. <laughs> Salt. <laughs> Thank you, Carl Brothers. <laughs> when John Mahoney appears, she said it's John Mahoney from Say Anything. Not the West Wing. When we heard the sex sounds from next door, Carla said, Is she crying? I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't That's always know. Oh, Carla's, jokes. <laughs> Carla's jokes. Carla's jokes. Uh, this is such a boring movie, Craig. This is a weird movie. I can't tell if they're trying to be funny or not. Man, that scene where he has to watch dailies of the wrestling picture, and it's just one big guy yelling over and over, I will destroy him! I will destroy him! Cut! I will destroy him! Makes me laugh more than just about anything I can <laughs> yeah. think of. That just I'm says a lot that. about... I'm in the tank for that. It says a lot about my sense of humor. Because they put their shoes out to be shined all the time... Uh, Barton is, is sitting down to write, puts his feet in his shoes, which are about two, uh, twice as big as his feet. And so he literally is trying on another man's shoes, uh, and not fitting with the, uh, the common man. So that's right. maybe a little heavy handed, but I enjoy, I enjoy that. One or the other. Here's more things in the same vein. What is going on in this movie? Enough with the vomiting in this movie. Oh, so two vomits. <laughs> Oh, Total of two vomits is too too many vomits for too Carla. Many. You'll you'll allow one. You'll allow nope. one. <laughs> you'll allow no vomits. <laughs> I like how the first guy put a towel down for himself. Sure, because he's a southern gentleman. Time. Yeah, he put I think his handkerchief down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a he's his own Sir Walter Raleigh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a scene where it starts on. Uh, Barton, and then I think this is after Judy Davis's body is discovered in his bed, uh, and then pans down to his feet, and Carla said, gross, his feet are gross. And it's a bookending of John Turturro's gross feet uh, In on the night of, his gross feet were a plot point. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. They probably got the idea from that shot. Use what you got, actors, if you got gross feet. I think it was, you know? what, it was that Charlie had come in and was handling it and put <clears throat> Turturro in the bathroom. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do with himself, so he looks down at his own feet. It's a weird Tarantino shot in a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time, by the way, they work with Roger Deakins, who they've worked with every right. movie since He's then. Because, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld was their cinematographer in their first three movies, but it was directing The Addams Family at the time. Is Roger Deakins still alive? Yeah. Did he, he did, um, what was that really long title Western movie with Brad Pitt? Yep. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert that, Ford. Right? Yes. yes. And was nominated Amazing. against himself that year. And did it For win? No Country? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think so he's, he's a 13 time loser. He's a real Lucci. He's absurd. He's incredible. Shawshank, he did as well. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. Um, so first time they work with him in a couple of, uh, nice stunt shots, uh, after their sex scene where the camera, uh, Ben referenced this before, where the camera pans down the drain of the sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, into hell. Into hell. 
And that's maybe a little reference to the the Hitchcock, you know, cutting to a train going through the tunnel. Before it's definitely, the it's definitely a double reference to, I mean, earlier in the movie when uh, Goodman's character says that you can hear everything through the pipes. Right. So you hear screaming. Yeah. That's, yes. what I, that's what I took. It's like, oh, they're showing us that he's going to be able to hear what's but going on. But it's also, yeah, it felt like a yeah by Northwest. I love when uh, when he wakes up uh, after having passed out in the bathroom. He's like, where? And, and uh, Munt is slapping, slapping him alive. So <laughs> you know? And he's like, where's Audrey? And he's like, she's dead if that was her name. <laughs> So there you go. That's the woman character in the in the nutshell. She's dead if that was her name. <laughs> uh, if you were offered that role, Carla, would you take it? Yes. <laughs> Just to audition for the Coen brothers. <laughs> the line, what's in the box, is literally said in this movie. <laughs> uh, I think Carla has a, a quote with that in mind. Uh, and then, you know, uh, John Goodman comes in and cleans up for him, you know, kind of like takes care of the whole situation. And then Carla's like, but what about the bloody mattress, guys? This is a big part of it that nobody fixed. <laughs> <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> I love when he's uh, suffering from writer's block. He opens a Gideon's Bible and it starts thumbing through it. And it literally has the opening of his screenplay as the beginning of Genesis. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just thought, thought that so clever. And then when it pans in on his uh finished screenplay, he finally overcomes the writer's block after uh this I mean death inspires people. I death guess. inspires people. Death your bed. Uh and he types up in one night this hundred and twenty page uh screenplay. And I for, I didn't look to see what it actually was called, but Carla said, What's it called? Barton Fink? <laughs> 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 that would be a little too meta if the movie he wrote was called Barton Fink. Feels Cohen-esque to me. Well, written by John Turturro, it said on <laughs> John Turturro's character. <laughs> oh, another show we cut is when they uh, put the camera directly into the trumpet at the oh, uh, yeah. the dance hall. I thought it was a very cool I shot. that scene. Also. I'm a writer, you monsters I create. Yeah. Uh, that defense always works. Uh, and then Munt leaves uh, a... Uh, a paper uh, or a cardboard box covered in brown paper uh, and says some of my personal effects. Uh, but th- this is before we know that he's a murderer. And then we begin to suspect that there's somebody's head in there. And Carla said it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. <laughs> of course. Of course. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too proud of yourself. Wait, was that a, a joke or a quote? <laughs> joke quote. <laughs> Uh, I love the final scene with Lipnick where for some reason he's in military garb and he's like, it's Colonel Lipnick now. <laughs> he's funny. signed up. He's not even yes. officially there. Yet. <laughs> uh, and then the, the final scene, uh, one of the, uh, the famous LA locations, Zuma Beach, Point Doom. We shot a little drunk history there, Planet of the Apes, Greece. So many movies have been shot there that, that famous, uh, rock outgrowth and uh yeah he meets uh this girl who recreates the pose of the are you the in girl, pictures he the asks girl him. in his room are you in pictures don't be ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> she is in pictures she's in the picture in his room i just think it's such i i mean i mean it's a weird ambiguous ending i just think it's really cool it is it's a it's a nice herald they really <laughs> really tied it together there at the end yeah i mean it, I mean, you say Harold, you know, which is the long form improv that I've devoted my life to. Uh, <laughs> uh, certainly, I guess we did Harold's in college, not well and not, uh, I, this is before I moved to Chicago to study, but my, it, it is a little bit, uh, of kind of my philosophy of improv of like kind of like drop Easter eggs throughout, you know, create resonance with things and just trust that it's going to have some sort of payoff. You don't need to know the logical meaning behind all of it, but you know, people like patterns and people like things coming back. Uh, and it is very influential, I think, in, in the way that I improvise. Speaking of things coming back, I've gotten a lot of requests from the internet community and the non-internet community, people come up to me on the streets. They're like, will you go back on Craigslist podcast? Mm-hmm. And if you do, will you do Carlos quotes? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Oh. Yes. Now I just want to say that wow, last time, really throwing things off, last time <laughs> I did this podcast, they did not have a theme for Carlos quotes. Right. Oh. And I didn't have a theme for Carlos quotes. Probably. <laughs> but now, they have a theme, a jingle, if you will, for Carlos Quotes. <laughs> and I would like to debut a jingle, if you will, okay. for Carlos Quotes, probably. Great. This is by uh, 
A collaboration I did with my friend Rhett Miller. Okay. The old 97s. <laughs> wow. Load it up. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I love stuff about me. Craig loves lists and movies. And he loves his wife. I pray God above his love don't ruin his life. so cool thank you rhett miller thank, thank you rhett miller rhett. what an honor wow you're really good rhett that's insane I've never so good heard, right um someone sing my name <laughs> so in that way so there's a hooters song called carla with a k but that's not you because you're carla with a exactly. c right and yeah. restaurants can't sing right exactly uh so now here's here's an anticlimactic after that a uh, bunch of carla's quotes okay probably Right, exactly. <laughs> this, these were not actually said by Carla, except for in my imagination, in watching the movie. Great. I wonder if Fresh Fish Guy is dead now. <laughs> <laughs> he looked pretty old in 1991, yeah. Right? Uh, this guy is named Garland. Why isn't this scene about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a part where uh, Barton Fink rings the bell at the, uh, at the hotel. And yes, and it keeps going, yeah. And so uh, Carla probably said, okay, Belle, we get it. <laughs> and then Chet comes in and says his name is Chet. Once again, that's Chet, and he writes it down, and it says Chet with an exclamation point, and Carla probably said, okay, Chet, we get it. <laughs> uh, on Tony Shalhoub entering the picture, uh, I have, hey, it's Big Night. Why can't the whole movie be about him? For <laughs> real. Uh, oh, I, uh, when Judy Davis entered the film, oh, look, a lady, and look, the first physical human contact. <laughs> Accurate. Uh, regarding the wallpaper, uh, that's not how walls should work. <laughs> um, the typewriter was before movies. Do you remember this? When um, before a movie, they would have the, the bit of him having writer's block and trying and typing and things. Yes. And it would culminate in um, the writer worked really hard on this, essentially, um, so don't talk during the movie. Yeah. Was that a, th- a thing for everybody? Or vaguely. Like, you remember yeah, that? vaguely. Okay, that yeah. was a thing. Um, so Carlos' quote was, that typewriter was before movies. But <laughs> I just wanted to ask if that was a thing. <laughs> the typewriter was before movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, let Charlie finish. What an asshole. Is everyone in this movie an asshole? Am I an asshole for watching? <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
take off your glasses to wrestle, Barton. <laughs> Barton is just a, a actually. He's just an actually. He's just walking around <laughs> telling people actually. Take off your glasses to sleep, Barton. Oh, in the scene after Barton Fink puts his sh- feet in Charlie's shoes, Charlie knocks on his door and reveals that he has Barton's shoes. They probably swapped them in the shoe shine service they offer at the hotel. So Charlie's got Barton's shoes on his hands and Barton puts Charlie's shoes under his armpits and as Charlie's handing Barton his shoes. And so I have, is that how they traded shoes back then? <laughs> oh, sure. Kill the woman in the movie. <laughs> yep. Pretty much said. Yeah. Nice undershirt, Barton. It's weird. Oh, my God. I didn't say that out loud, but I was thinking that all the time. <laughs> it's blousy. So times. It, I, I actually thought it's feminine looking, and I didn't want to say that mm-hmm. because I thought that that was not a fair thing to say. <laughs> How well does Ben Acker understand you? Whoa. Uh, I like these detectives. Oh, no. Anti-Semitic. It <laughs> <laughs> was a lot of anti-Semitic. Oh, uh, <laughs> I have the line that is the Writer's Guild uh, motto. I'm a writer, you monsters. This is my uniform, he says, <laughs> oh, tapping this his This is my head. uniform, yeah. Um, oh, when he writes the screenplay and finishes and writes the end, uh, Carla probably said, that must feel good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at, out of nowhere, Madman Munt says, Hail Hitler. Yes. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Uh, and so, Heil Hitler, I maybe don't understand this movie. <laughs> that might have been a me quote. Uh, I was very confused at that moment. Right. The detective is named Deutsch, mm-hmm. i.e. German. Uh, and then the other detective has an Italian name, so they're supposed to represent Germany and Italy, and that's why they're anti-Semitic, because this is 1941, and so they're fascist. Got it. That's all my Carlos quotes, probably. Oh. Thank you, Carlos Quotes. Probably. Let's play that theme song one more time. (laughs) You got time? Everybody got time? (laughs) And let me leave you on the one real Carlos quote that she said as the credits. Did I interrupt? As the credits were rolled. No, no, no. No, I, I, I missed it before. Uh, but, uh, as the credits began to roll, Carlos said, I fucking hate the Coen brothers so much. (laughs) (laughs) Carla, you want to give this movie a letter grade? Um, are we there yet? We're there. Uh, D. A D. For don't for Darton Fink. Don't bother. Oh. Watch Adaptation if you're looking Ooh. for a movie about writer's block. Ooh. Harsh. Harsh. Ben, what would you give it? Um, B plus, A minus, somewhere in there. I love it. <laughs> really? Love it. Even though I don't love it, love it. I loved it and I had a great time watching most of it. Like... I'm a sucker. Okay. I like it. Well, that's good. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's not better than Sound of Music for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen Sound of Music, so. Oh, man. We got to improvise a scene, too. Oh, shoot. Uh, and didn't you want to ask me what it's like having writer's block? <laughs> I think we got to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I want to play uh, again. I keep wanting to call him the wrong name because uh, <laughs> there's an actor named Jack Plotnick. Uh, but that's not his name. Jack Lipnick, right? And somebody in it called him Jack, Jack Lipnick. Jack Lipnick. But that was like, Shalhoub I think, an did, affectation. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's taken an interest. <laughs> God, he's taken, good. He's a good souse. Souse! Souse! I had that as a co- like Mr. Geisler. Geisler. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we gotta go. Stay okay. Um, so I'm Jack Lipnick, uh-huh. studio head. You guys are Joel and Ethan Cohen pitching this movie to me. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Oh, is, do I have to be a guy because there's no women around? <laughs> Look, I would okay. like to, Mr. Lipnick, I would like to pitch you this movie, but I feel like if I say it out loud, it changes it, and I'd rather just present it to you when it is all finished. Which one are you again? Cole. Ethan. You're Ethan. You're the short one. Huh? You're the tall, you're the tall one. Yeah, I'm Joel. And look, here's what's gonna happen. Uh, fire. Uh, blood, semen on the walls. Semen on the walls. The end. <laughs> All right. Can we sell this in Peoria? Oh, there's semen on the walls in Peoria. Lots. <laughs> I've seen semen before. Look, I need a little more than this. You know, you're talking in terms of imagery. I love it. You guys are brilliant. This is what I bring you in for. 
But uh, but what is this? What is, Barton Fink is all I'm seeing. What, you know, you know, ennui, right? You know, angst. It's that. It's ennui and angst. It's you know how the world is trying to kill you and um, make your life miserable. You know that, right? Yeah. I want to make a buck on this movie, guys. Come on. Okay, okay. Picture this: John Goodman, Jay Goods, sitting in a booth, dimly lit restaurant. Is he smoking a cigar? a cigar? Is he chomping on a cigar? <laughs> you like a movie where you know what every actor in it smells like, right? Yes, <laughs> that's this. Good. We can some mobsters. We can package it with Smellorama and the Boonies. They'll love it. They'll, they'll scratch a little card that corresponds to all the actors in it. What does Mahoney smell like? This. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, boozy Fraser dad. <laughs> Look, the, uh, I only noticed there's one lady in the whole movie. It's what? fine. <laughs> we don't need another. You're cool with that? Yeah, it's fine. All right. I mean, technically, we have three or four. And they right, should, technically. You know, they're all wearing sleeveless dresses or bathing suits, so we get to see their backs, which is also another image, I think. Yeah, Lady that's back. totally going to be an image. Lady back. Here's this movie's going to be so full of images. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm going to kiss your shoes. <laughs> I'm going to supplicate myself, just like they did in the old country. Joel Cohen, Ethan Cohen, you guys are brilliant. I don't have great feet. Has <laughs> <laughs> the shoes? Scene. <laughs> yeah, just the shoes. <laughs> Well, uh, Ben, this is coming out on January 10th and this weekend. If, you know, if you're listening to this in the first three days that this podcast is out and you happen to be in the Bay Area or going up there for San Francisco Sketch Fest, what do you got going on this weekend? I don't, I wonder if it's, rev- I, it must be revealed, right? People, they're advertising with my name on it. It must be revealed. I saw your name. Uh, all right. I'm taking part in a Paul F. Tompkins tribute. Uh, which would be easy because that guy's great and, uh, I've worked with him a long goddamn time. That should be really fun. Be fun. We are doing our second ever live Craigslist mm-hmm. podcast and we're doing this. Oh, great. Oh. Um, I can't wait. <laughs> what movie should I watch? <laughs> well, uh, don't tell, tell me off the air. We have, we, uh, sorry, we have, we've booked another guest. Uh, two guests. And has it, that been done? No, it's just one guest. We only have one guest. <laughs> we this is so weird. Someone to write a song. Uh, we have busy. We have busy Phillips joining oh, us phenomenal. this weekend on uh, January fourteenth, and we happen to be talking about the other Cohen Brothers movie on wow. our list. On my list, I think of it as Carla's list as well. Uh, Raising Arizona. So uh, that's going to be number. It's actually not the next movie up on the list. It's going to be number thirty on Craig's list. So it's about ten episodes from now. But we will be recording it live in San Francisco this weekend. Exciting! So come to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to those things. Anything else you want to talk about, Ben? Mm, I don't know. No, okay. I like. I feel like I'll have stuff coming out then. Oh, in this is this is in January. So the last Jedi just came out. Uh, we all went and saw it together. Yes. And, uh, we've got two, Blacker and I have two one-shot comic books that are out in proximity to that. So they either came out last month or this month, but they're Marvel mm-hmm. comics. One is called The Storms of Crate, which is about a planet featured in The Last Jedi, but it takes place in, uh, Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker days. Uh, it was great to write for those guys. And then we have another one that I don't know the title of yet that ties into the movie that you just saw. Benicio del Toro's character has a moment before, and we wrote it. Uh, nice. and holy crap, they were super fun to write and pick them up. They're out now, I hope, or else Disney's coming after this podcast in a major way. <laughs> awesome. So cool. Uh, so Carla, I remember how much you enjoyed, um, <laughs> how much you enjoyed the film, The Accidental Tourist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you were like, I want to see the first movie that Lawrence Kasdan directed with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. Well, you get an opportunity next week because we're going to talk about 1981's Body Heat. Great. <laughs> so Craigslist Lucky. Listeners, Craig's listeners, please tune in. We're going to see a uh, modern day noir uh, with Mr. Hurt and Ms. Turner directed by Mr. Kasdan and Carla's going to love it. Can I ask you a few questions? Sure. Great. Um, see. <laughs> The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>